Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. I'm Satsunami and joining me today is of course the one, the only, the mature sandwich Adam. Adam, welcome. Hello, hello. Good to be back. And for this episode, you might have read the title and thought, two podcasters probably isn't enough for this topic. So we have brought through a very good friend of ours, the one, the only, you might have heard his voice on the Beer and Chill podcast. It is Craigie C. Craig, welcome back. Oh, thank you very much. It has been a long, long time since I've been here, so I'm very excited. Yeah, when was the last episode? (laughs) Wow. Um... Not to put you on the spot or anything. I was going to say, I did do the Dungeons & Dragons short for you back in November. And apart from that... Indie games, was it? Yeah, probably something to do with indie games. That seems like that seems likely. Yeah. Oh, Craig, talking about indie games. That doesn't sound like <laughs> you. perish the thought. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of indie games, nah, I'm only kidding. We're not going to be talking solely about indie games, although... That, I mean, you are the indie game aficionado. I was going to say, I, I do believe that is the only reason I got brought into talk today was to talk about mature indie games so I'm <laughs> I know I'm in my place you were told that there would be indie games and um, Sony discussions <laughs> something which <laughs> neither Adam or myself can cover <laughs> I guess my Nintendo Switch knowledge won't be needed today, though. As you can see by the title today, we are going to be talking about quite an interesting subject. That, of course, being what defines the maturity of a game. So what really makes a game mature? To start it off quite awkwardly, I'm, of course, going to turn it on Adam, because it is tradition by now. Adam, how would you, first of all, how would you define a mature game? All right, I'll take first bite of this apple then. <laughs> to begin this, I decided to try and see if I could define maturity. I thought maybe that was a good place to start. So for me, maturity kind of equals responsibility and like an understanding, you know, that your actions will have consequences, which is kind of, you know, as you grow up to be an adult, it's kind of the things that you're supposed to focus on. And as you as you move beyond childhood and, you know, reckless abandon, you have to understand that, you know, your actions are going to have consequences. Looking at that, for me, that's what really what makes a game mature is having this understanding that you know you're responsible for your actions and they're going to have knock-on effects and i kind of looked at the differences i think there's kind of two major categories of mature games in my mind you have ones that have this kind of what i called surface level uh, mature content which i suppose kind of focus on usually things like violence and you know, sexual content things like that and then kind of games with a more mature sensibility sort of ones that deal with maybe kind of more complex issues real world issues but again have this kind of balance of responsibility and and consequences which is something surface level mature content really shies away from in mortal Kombat, for instance there's really no consequences to sub-zero ripping Liu kang's like spine out because Liu kang will just come back for the next match while other games you know there's a much more kind of cause and effect relationship so that's the kind of way i approached it but again it's a very subjective question so i'm interested to hear how you both kind of look at this issue so i'll move it on to you next just so i can copy your answer craig how would you define a mature game yeah well well, Adam said definitely could start and then the other thing I considered was a maturity in terms of expectation of experience so to speak so one thing that a lot of games especially sort of jumped to indie games already but especially indie games like to do is they assume that you've played other games and they assume that you've you have a history they assume you're a certain age um and i think there's like maturities to that so the obvious examples things like um undertale which is an rpg which takes 
the mech out of other RPGs, but also kind of relies on the fact that you've been playing games for a long time for you to play them, if that makes sense. I think there's a lot of that in gaming. Um, my wife doesn't play a lot of games, so like seeing her having to play new games, you can tell which games rely on a sort of maturity where she will be playing something that has no idea what's going on. I'm like, oh, it's really obvious. It's just that green thing there or whatever. Uh, that's, cause there's like an, that's the third element of maturity that I thought of there. But yeah, the other two, like Adam said, you've got 18-minute content and then you've got actual maturity in terms of the story and cause and effect and stuff like that. And I do agree with just kind of touching something Adam said about the idea of kind of consequence in games. And it is something we're just about to touch on, but it's the idea that kind of as games have evolved, there's obviously been more of an emphasis, not for all games, of course, but for a particular few, there's that idea of incorporating consequences into the game. And it's very interesting. Again, it could be thematically, or it could just be how the game's programmed, how not only the player's going to react, to the choices but like how the game is going to present itself in that way and obviously depending on the audience and their target demographic of course it would kind of display whether or not the game is going to take uh, as Adam was saying there like a mature take on this story that they're going to present or if it's just going to be very surface level and just say haha blow up everything you know which is pretty much half of the Call of Duty games I would say but yeah Fortunately, this is not going to be a Call of Duty episode, so you can both sigh with relief. Also, only half of the Call of Duty games? Okay, three quarters. (laughs) Only three quarters? Look, being nice is one of my New Year's resolutions, okay? (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, big dummy. Good. Kind of just moving on from that, one of the things that we kind of need to touch on is, I suppose, the change in the gaming landscape. What I mean by that is, of course, you'll both know, being gamers yourselves, is that when gaming started, it was very much focused on really just being a pastime. It was like being this kind of thing that you played for a couple of hours, you thought, oh, that was a fun game of Pong, I don't know, Super Mario, that kind of, or not Super Mario, even before that, like Pac-Man and things. And then as technology kind of developed and got better there was like a bigger scope for storytelling Craig I'm quite curious to hear what you think of this but would you agree with that that the more the gaming landscape has changed the more this idea of maturity kind of came along with games it's a funny one because I think like that maturity comes in quite quickly and and leaps and bounds and then sort of there comes in peaks and valleys I think for example you mentioned like Super Mario by the time the Super Nintendo rolls around you've got things like Final Fantasy 6 which its entire plot is to do with like effectively a terrorist winning the fight that's like <laughs> the entire plot of Final Fantasy 6 the bad guy wins and takes over the world and destroys half of its spoilers but <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh man a 30 year old game and then you also got quite raunchy games as well come out around that time but obviously it's like pixel art you know but you get like quite a lot of like quite gross and quite raunchy games at that time it's funny and then like i think when the ps1 starts to come out things kind of they wiggle around but I, I, we mentioned we were chatting earlier about um ledger suit larry i mean i mentioned this on the um on the in our messages earlier not because that's a game that i want to certainly talk about <laughs> but more just because it's an example of like a super early not early but like it's like that raunchy 90s game so you have a lot of stuff like that Duke Nukem as well which we'll probably talk about a bit more later but yeah in terms of like the story maturity that it comes in leaps and bounds as well i think they were trying a lot of things on like the PS1 era. You had things like Deus Ex off the top of my head. That was um, PS1. Final Fantasy VII, not to mention, not to always mention GRPGs. But really, it's like for me, the PS2 is not as serious. Someone's going to correct me on that one, like Metal Gear Solid 2 or something. But I think it's not really till like the PS3 era where you get uh, The Last of Us comes out. It's like for me, that's where like gaming changes. 
the, the Last of Us is like a shift for me where it's like, okay, this is now where games are now like, this is a better story than most films are coming out with now, instead of getting made into a TV show. But there you go, that's the, that was kind of like my take on sort of the timeline for it. I can't believe this is a place I've learned that there's going to be a Metal Gear Solid TV show. So thank you for that. No, no, I think it's the Last of Us TV show. Oh, Last of Us, sorry. Yeah. Last of Us even. How dare you get my hopes up there, Sassan? <laughs> you knew something I didn't. I'm sure there's a Metal Gear Solid movie coming out. Is this one? Uh, Metal Gear Solid movie, yeah, directed by Jordan White Roberts with uh, Oscar Isaac. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I know what we're reviewing next once it comes out. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think it's due out for a long time. But Okay, yeah. Chatsunami is officially going on a hiatus until this film comes out. <laughs> I'll give you a chance to play the games, actually. Oh, Jesus, no. no. Yes. <laughs> you might get a quarter of the way through Metal Gear Solid Five. Between playing that, the Persona games, uh, watching Citizen Kane, you know, I've got a backlog, Adam. I've got a big backlog. Wait, one of those things is not like the other, though. like Citizen Kane is like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's not a Citizen King game, as far as I know. I, d- I did look. <laughs> so anyway, moving back on to the maturity of games, just to cover my own tracks here, so I don't have to talk no, about Citizen King. No, before we move on, <laughs> Citizen Kane running time is one hour, 59 minutes. <laughs> oh, there's no way you'd ever be able to watch that. No, it's too, nah, much. That's nah, too much. Nah. I mean, it's no Ben-Hur. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we talk about something, Citizen Kane always comes up. But yeah, going to you, Adam, what are your thoughts about the evolution of the gaming landscape in correlation with maturity in games? Yeah, like, Craig said lots of like really interesting things there as well. One thing I thought about, like kind of when gaming started, it kind of felt there was a, a technological limit on you know what you could obviously accomplish. So there wasn't really any scope to do any kind of you know quote unquote mature content through like the seventies and kind of most of the eighties. And sort of into the kind of early nineties. It was interesting to hear. It was interesting to hear about like you saying about kind of switch the Super Nintendo. And I'm not very well versed in the Final Fantasy game, so it was interesting to hear that kind of take on them taking a more kind of mature storyline. One thing that I thought it seemed to be kind of in the nineties, we seemed to get this kind of reaction against on the surface was quite a kid friendly kind of mainstreaming gaming market when you had things like Doom and Mortal Kombat, Wolfenstein, Duke Nukem all came out, and they seemed very much kind of against the grain and really kind of lent into that sort of you know mature ideas which was really very much surface level whether it be demons or, or nazis or whatever you know kind of excessive gore that really kind of seemed to be the rise of that sort of surface level kind of mature content and then yeah as, as you say like especially in the 2010s it seemed we got games that tried to actually tackle kind of serious issues especially things like The Last of Us. And that kind of kind of made an interesting comparison almost to the kind of what happened to the comic book market in the 90s, where basically after like titles like Watchmen and stuff, the comic book market became obsessed with trying to be really serious and that's what everything was kind of geared towards. And it kind of felt that after things like The Last of Us, video gaming kind of fell into that as well, that everybody wanted to try and do that. I mean, the Tomb Raider reboot came about the same time, which went for a really kind of gritty edge to it, like very different from the kind of old ones. So yeah, it did really seem to be that the 2010s was that kind of turning point, as you said. Um, almost feels as if it's a question of like not if they could but should they isn't it or rather as you both said the fact that the technology was so i don't want to say primitive but it was so early on in like the 80s and 90s and as it kind of developed there was that kind of scope you brought up an interesting point adam and it's especially the case of games like duke nukem which don't worry i know you'll get your say on it but it's that kind of idea of because a game like duke nukem didn't exist or i suppose like mortal kombat and things like that they were kind of the 
trailblazers of the genre, so they were just like, yeah, let's do it, and uh, that's what we got. Yeah, without any further ado, because I know, Adam, you're chomping at the bit to get into ripping apart the cover this one. Well, we just dive right into it. Let's go for it. And we will be back right after these messages. Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that talks about topics from gaming and films to streaming and general interests. Previously on Shatsunami, we discussed Game of the Decade, Deadly Premonition, the romantic thriller Birdemic, and listen to us get all sappy as we discuss our top five Christmas films. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. We are Beer and Chill Podcast. Podcast where we review TV shows, games, movies, and whatever else takes our fancy. So what are you waiting for? If you're a cool kid like us, you're gonna listen to the Beer and Chill Podcast. You can get it anywhere from Spotify all the way to your grandmother's radio. My name is Jan. And I'm Craig C. And we are Beer and Chill. One of the main questions of this topic, which I thought about, was what actually constitutes... So what's the difference between a quote-unquote mature game or a game that displays maturity what is the difference between a good example of that versus a bad example craig i'm gonna give it to you first what would you say is a good versus bad example of a mature game uh, i'm gonna be a bit of a walking stereotype for this one and go for good and go for the witcher series it's like the most obvious answer i think when it comes to this kind of thing you know, multi-branching storylines, a lot of characters to juggle. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to compare it to Game of Thrones, but in terms of, like, the number of characters and stuff like that, actions have consequences, and your actions in particular have consequences on the characters around you and how they react to things. I always think that's really powerful. Ages ago, and Beat and Chill Yang, had a discussion about the best RPGs of all time. One of them that always comes up in our discussions is Mass Effect 2. Very similar. It's like, these games are quite mature, not because it's, like, an 18-rated game, but because your actions are having direct consequences. You, the things that you do, affect other people and this makes you stop and think about that the bad example i think though is when you get the games that are trying to be overly edgy to try compensate we used to watch a lot of bad movies together usually what would happen in the first if it was a bad film where they were trying to overcompensate they would do like sexual assault or something that's usually what happened in the, like, the opening two scenes to establish a story and you get that a lot in games where it's like you get like ridiculous overgo but not in like a fun way I'm gonna, I don't know if it's like I'm talking myself in circles here but like Doom for example the reboot of that it has very fun go where it's like these demons explode and stuff like that but there was that game that came out I think it was called was it Agony it was called maybe oh, and it got yeah. absolutely panned on Metacritic and all that and it was like it was just like the edgiest attempt at a game ever made and um, I think that kind of thing was very shy shallow and you can see right through that or something like doom it uses to go to add to the sort of carnage and chaos of the ridiculousness of the whole situation you get this other kind of edginess which doesn't always work as well i think so that's my sort of good and bad for that yeah i'm kind of very much in line what craig was saying there kind of looking at good examples again i heart back to the ones that the games that make you make you make decisions make you responsible for it and then force you to kind of live with those consequences so i'm gonna i'm gonna stray into i'm gonna stray into craig's turf here and talk about an indie game and bring up uh, papers please which for me is i think one of the best games to explore this kind of of 
mature content and has such a great mature sensibility because it's a game that asks you to basically define your own morality and define your own kind of ethical framework and what are you going to do so for those who don't know papers please you play as a border control officer in a fictional communist country and it's your job to check people's passports work documents visas all things like that to see if they're allowed entry to the country and you know you're given you, you get money for every person that you process correctly money's dock for people you don't process correctly and at the end of the day you need to get enough money to you know, pay your rent, uh, feed your family, you know, heat your home and everything like that. So it's a very tense game from the mechanics and everything, but it also adds in all these different things. So people will come to you and a husband goes through at one point and says, he's able to go through, he's like, oh, my wife doesn't have the right documents, but can you just turn a blind eye and let her through? But you know, if you do that, you're going to get docked money. A guard will come up to you at one point and say like, oh, like I need, you know, I'll give you extra money if you get people detained. So, you know, you can make the decision that even though this person's done nothing wrong, you can throw them over to the guards, you'll get a bit of extra money. There's a resistance group group going on who want your help to kind of fight the regime and there's all these different things and you have to juggle what you think is right and who you're really you know who you're working for and everything and it really makes you responsible for everything you do and make you really think and then you have to live with those consequences and it's just it's just a fantastic game so for me that's the one i'd hold up as you know i think the best example of mature kind of game for bad examples to be honest there are so many you can pick like it's so difficult to pick but there are so many for me it's games that both kind of use mature issues for shock value they don't treat them with any kind of respect so there's a very infamous scene i think in a uh, in gta 5 uh which have you both of you played gta 5 yeah yeah so i do remember there's a, a torture scene in that where yeah you play as one of the characters and you you have to undertake this torture of the suspected terrorist and there's no real point to it at all it, it's really for shock value and it's you know it, it's kind of the point seems to be oh isn't torture bad oh but here's some pliers and i pull this guy's tooth out oh isn't this awful now go waterboard him and there, there's no it's there's no discussion at all it's just pure shock value value and then there's just those games that are just ultra crass we've been circled around before but the Duke Nukem series for me is just the, the ultimate example of this just ultra crassness for, for for crassness's sake and that way of trying to be cool and it's yeah I don't know it's it's just uh, the games are the games can be fun you know to play but honestly just their attitudes to especially towards women is just it's just despicable to be honest and it's just it's that way of trying to wear a mature kind of you know a mature coat but you know you pull it back and it's just it's just puerile sensibilities and I, yeah it's just it's just horrible to be honest so that's the one i'd hold up as just bad examples of, of quote-unquote mature games out of curiosity kind of just going from what you were both saying there because obviously you both have picked like very good games like the witcher you know the witcher's a fantastic example by the way and papers please where you are given these kind of branching decisions and things but have either of you ever played a game where on the surface level it looks quite or rather it presents itself as being mature and on the surface it looks very immature but as soon as you kind of go into it it kind of shows itself as having a bit more maturity I've got a couple of for that Undertale uh, mentioned that already that's that's maybe the, the prime candidate for that but I think everyone's spoken about that so I'll talk about something else there's a great game called Disco Elysium which is a sort of text based RPG and stuff and it's you can get that on I think all the consoles now and it's not not that it presents itself to be immature but it's it's advertising and sort of promos you'll see for the game are very much haha you're playing this wacky cop who is drunk all the time and you have to try solve the case before he blacks out and it's basically got that sort of um, Bojack Horseman element to it where it's like haha look how wacky this guy is 
actually, you should probably be more introspective about how terrible a person you are. <laughs> it starts off being like quite funny and it's got a bit of joke to it, and then the game quickly sort of takes lots of sharp turns and becomes quite introspective. Um, it's still funny the whole time, but it is a definite like I don't want to call it a switch of gears because it's not it never switches gears, but it, it reveals itself quite slowly to you. I mean, it's maybe one of my favorite games of all time because of that. I'd recommend it very basically, but yeah, if you watch any of the trailers, it's all quite comical, but it does really get you to sit back and have a think about really what you're up to and how you, what, how your actions have affected other people. Crazy for a game which is effectively made by a bunch of, I think, like 20 people or something. Probably for me, it's probably Spec Ops The Line, because on the surface, it appears as basically your kind of bog-standard third-person military shooter, and it basically plays like that for basically the first, nearly the first half of the game. There's not really, there's a kind of interesting story, but there's not really anything that kind of differentiates it. And then you hit a certain point uh, in the game and it kind of flips and it becomes this interesting like discussion of violence and, and war and, and the nature of killing. And it kind of makes you think about a lot of these things far more than basically I think any shooter <laughs> that, I can, that I've certainly played has ever done. So that was a real surprise. Also as well, um, Wolfenstein The New Order has that very much that same kind of surface level mature you know, kind of campy fun that the old Wolfenstein games had but you dig into it and it's really a tale of broken people you know in this horrible situation who who are just fighting this perpetual war and it kind of talks about what that does to a person's psyche and it, it really comes out of nowhere and it's really surprising so those are the two games for me that really kind of caught me off guard and that they didn't look to be particularly you know have particularly mature sensibilities but they actually ended up having quite profound ones the only reason i bring this up is i was having a discussion with a friend the other day and of all things and you might think i'm crazy for bringing this one up but we're actually talking about the gears of war series don't get me wrong like obviously in the outset it is just like a big bunch of beefy men who have like chainsaws and their guns and they're gunning down aliens that is obviously the core part of the gameplay it's a third person cover based shooter but one of the things that really caught me off guard i don't but the only reason i got into the gears games was because by chance i picked them up in a game shop pre-owned and i just thought okay I'll, I'll give them a go so i tried the first one the first one was great and then i tried the second one and i was blown away there's a particular moment so going back to something you said craig i know it's like like a very old game but spoilers there is a scene in that where one of the characters is of course looking for his wife and she has been kidnapped by these you know aliens and things and you have to go down and rescue her and without kind of giving too much away the scene where they reunite is just absolutely it's one of those moments where for a game that does portray itself as this kind of huge bombastic action shooter game it's something that really got to me I kind of thought oh my god and there's a scene even before that where you rescue another fellow soldier and initially the main character throws him a gun and he's like oh yeah let's go fight them and, you, and I rolled my eyes initially I kind of thought oh great it's another one of these shooters where the guy just shrugs it off but then literally two seconds later the guy blows his head off well blows his own head off and it's that kind of idea that there's like maturity kind of interwoven even though you know the gameplay might not be as mature or it might not present itself there's definitely like hidden moment or not hidden but you know what i mean there's kind of those moments within the narrative that you don't really expect out of a game like that that you kind of play and you think oh god what have i just sat down and played and it's the same with something like and i'm wondering if you guys will agree but do you remember red dead redemption not the sequel but the original one 
back in the day. I remember it well. Yeah, we are, don't get me wrong, it's a rock star game, so obviously there's going to be the stereotypical rock star humour. But towards the end of the game, you, you both remember how it ends, don't you? <laughs> don't bring the tear to my eye. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of, like, as I said, there's all the kind of silly, crude moments, but throughout the story, there's kind of this underlying theme of almost inevitability and that kind of futility of despite what he's been doing throughout the game no matter how you know honorable you become throughout the game you're still going to meet the same ending and well obviously unless you turn the console off (laughs) before that yeah it's kind of like a game that i have to admit i knew nothing about it when I went in to play it and obviously by the end of it I was just blown away you could probably say the same thing about the sequel but yeah for me definitely those were the two kind of like hidden gems or not gems but like the hidden mature games or ones that didn't as I said they didn't present themselves as being mature but you kind of found it the more you played through it but that kind of brings us on to our next point and Adam I'll let you lead off with this one do you think the role of the type of genre of the game is important depending on the maturity level? I think yes and no. No in the sense that I think any genre can tackle mature content because I think gaming as like an as a, an entertainment medium is uniquely suited to kind of exploring mature issues because it gives a level of control to the player which always makes things a bit more impactful and you know that's the case in any kind of gaming genre however yes because I it's quite clear that some genres really struggle and I'll narrow in on on shooter games here as a genre that I think really struggles with this issue. I think a lot of the a lot of uh, shooter games don't bother. They will just go for that surface level mature content, you know, your dooms, a lot of kind of your early Wolfensteins, Quakes, things like that. There's not really any kind of attempt to have a kind of mature sensibility to it. But then there's games that do try to do it. And, you know, for every Spec Ops the line, there are <laughs> there are numerous Call of Duty Modern Warfares. And I'll narrow on this. The Modern Warfare series has tried several times to kind of examine and explore more mature issues honestly i don't think they've ever really done it well whether it be modern warfare's uh, modern warfare 2's no russian mission or whether it's the kind of the reboots attempt to look at the impact of war on children and aspects like that it's just it's they've never been able to land it's always felt more shock value you know than it has felt an actual you know true exploration of that you know while other other games have succeeded in kind of exploring the effects of war there's one called this war of mine which is a survival game and basically you take you take control of a group of survivors who are trapped in this kind of war-torn city and they have to scavenge basically to survive and get by until the end of the war and that presents you with a lot of a lot of different kind of moral issues as well in that you know how ruthless are you your scavengers going to be in, in taking from other people uh, you meet around yourself and, and you know your survivors can get kind of a lot of emotional baggage that comes with the actions they do and everything but yeah so any game genre should be able to i think has the ability to tackle mature content but i think the history has shown that some just really struggle one thing i, I craig's probably better more able to speak on this than i am but it seems to me that the indie gaming sphere has proven more adept at, at kind of dealing with these and presenting mature sensibilities and i think triple a gaming sphere has i don't always think that the triple a uh, industry is comfortable with, with you know making players responsible for you know kind of maybe the more serious actions they undertake i feel as if as well shooter games are probably the most effective by this because as you say it's like for every spec ops the line or even gears of war 2 you know you'll get a shooter game that even when we were growing up 
is it safe to say that the shooter genre was kind of, I don't want to say looked down on, but it was kind of considered as like that demographic for teens and edgy teens? I definitely think so, because, but again, I think that's the way they kind of presented themselves. It was very much, you know, it was very much the violent, for lack of a better thing, violence is cool. <laughs> you know, it was very much that, you know, it was the kind of thrill of the combat and everything. And, you know, the killing, there was no real like, kind of exploration of the actions and the repercussions of the killing. So in a way they were looked down on, but I think partly it was their own kind of image because it was that, that was what they kind of focus on, especially in the kind of 90s and 2000s. Because I'm just thinking back to an example, and don't worry, Adam, like I know we've talked about Halo over the last couple of episodes, so I won't <laughs> dwell on this for too long, but there's a particular example that springs to my mind, that of course being Halo ODST. Now, Adam, you might be thinking I'm going crazy right now, but basically in that game, I was actually really shocked. So I played through it, you know, it's your standard, oh, you're a soldier in this Space Army, you know, I'm being very reductive here, but to kind of cut a long story short, you know, you have to fight through the streets and you have to defeat these aliens and get from point A to B, essentially. But something I didn't realise was there's actually a sub-story which coincides with the main narrative of this. And obviously, this is kind of a thing that you have to go and hunt for. It almost seems as if it's like, it's obviously rewarding you for hunting out like these terminals. And it gives you this very, very, quite possibly one of the darkest in Halo. This really dark story about this woman trying to find her father, getting chased by like corrupt policemen, getting shot at by looters and things. It's very interesting to see how there were kind of more attempts back then. I'm kind of generalising but you could see more attempts for there to kind of be like more mature takes on certain series, whether it be Halo, Gears or even to an extent Call of Duty, which I will admit it seemed to have begun probably around Call of Duty 4 when the first Modern Warfare they presented it as very you know mature and oh it's the next evolution of warfare and then it kind of descended into that immaturity sphere and I think you're totally right I think maybe it is just like a kind of shifting of I, I don't want to say perception but you know it's like just the way games are kind of made nowadays where it's AAA companies are maybe trying to appeal to like a wider audience so they're not willing to take that chance whereas maybe indie companies because they've not got the same restrictions then they're allowed to kind of express themselves more freely so speaking of indie games i'm going to hand it to you craig because i know you're of course very well versed in this one yeah it's, it's a funny one because especially when you mentioned genres as well the indie games recently have been doing a lot of stuff with genres you wouldn't expect them to do it try trying to just this maturity as well so you've got um off the top of my head hades came out a couple of years ago which is a roguelike action game a uh, good old button masher like effectively the triple equivalent of it is like i don't know dev may cry or something maybe the triple equivalent which is very not sure <laughs> in terms of its plot and all that um well hades actually ends up telling a pretty good plot with a lot of like emotion dragged through it and it it won a bunch of game of, game of the year awards but it just purely based on on the plot side of it but it's interesting because i think with the indie games is yeah i think you get more indie games that are willing to try push these boundaries i think i think a big part of that is because um they're not in development as long so i think indie games are willing to try more risks but also i think like triple a games are under a lot of scrutiny now with their story and i think for example you look at the backlash that the last of us 2 got as an example where it tried to tell a story that whether you liked it or not was a bit different from 
what games usually tell. Um, and I think that was quite interesting what they tried to do with that. It didn't work, <laughs> ultimately. But I think to play titles, they're, they're obviously going to be risk averse when these famous games get, get you know, kind of shit on for the story. <laughs> but yeah, just in terms of the genres and stuff as well, I do think every genre now has a chance. I think Hades pro- proved, I think, this game's out of like Spirit Fairer, which is effectively a, I don't know what you call it, a lifestyle farming game with an extremely mature story now. There's like Metroidvania games with like mature stories and stuff. So it's like the trip uh, the indie scene's proven that anything can be given a, a deep story if it wants to. And then you've got Kind Words. Then you get something like that, which is almost no game at all, but it's an extremely mature concept, um, which is very fun. I don't think that it's the end of AAA games trying to do mature storylines. We've got things like Elden Rings coming out this month, the New Horizon game. Both of them will probably have pretty mature stories, so we'll see where it goes. But yeah, AAA games are always going to be risk averse nowadays. Part of me thinks that as well, sometimes if a game goes for like a very mature sensibility, it's not always the most fun to play and i'll go back to papers please again like i I love papers please but i'm gonna be honest i didn't have any fun playing it because it's it's heartrending and it's grueling and it's taxing but you know that's kind of what it's trying to be that's what it's trying to do that's you know that's the thing of of having responsibility and having to deal with consequences while a lot of other games with kind of more surface level mature content are still fun to play you know the, the Doom games are fun, but they're not. There's no there's, there's no kind of real sensibility to them there. So probably wonders as well for like a triple A market. You're obviously wanting people to enjoy your product and stuff. So maybe that's the reason they kind of shy away as well. So do you think there's like an importance then to try and find like that sweet spot, that kind of balance between a game that's obviously mature but also you know fun to play? Because I, I can totally see what you mean, Adam. It seems as if it's almost as if it can be like one or the other. It's very hard to balance. I mean, Craig, would you agree that like something like The Witcher could be classed as both fun and mature, or would you say that would lean more towards one or the other side? I think there's a there's a stress element to it. I think is what what the what the unfun element of it all is, isn't it? Something like um, Doom or um, another good example I think of them is Borderlands. Where it's like this. This is I'm gonna switch my brain off and bash some buttons and murder some enemies, and this is gonna be a great time. The other example is I'm, you know, I'm playing The Witcher, I'm having a great time, and then all of a sudden I'm getting put with a storyline about this band whose unborn son's coming back to life and all this, and it's like, okay, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Suddenly, there's a lot more stressy than I was expecting, and I think there's that level of stress, and I, I think that there's there's a fun to it. You know, people watch horror films. Which is the same kind of stress, I think. Just as another example, these kind of things, you've got games that are like not games at all in terms of the gameplay. You've got things like um, Telltale Walking Dead game, which is like all stress and no <laughs> no game, but they're still very enjoyable games. So there's definitely a, I think it obviously depends on who you are as a person, but I think there's definitely a whole load of enjoyment to be had. And I think ultimately games in general, I think are pushing this boundary about what is fun for a game and what is an experience and I think you get a lot more games doing that experience um, style things like Papers, Please is maybe the, the, the greatest example of it but it's like there's very little actual game in there in terms of you know you're not exactly running about having a good time <laughs> but no, that's probably my take on that yeah I, th- I think there is a there's definitely a cross but there is a lot of stress for these mature games I think that's that's part of what makes them mature is that you you feel the responsibility you feel the stress of it all that's sort of the way it, it, it's that way of of having something that maybe it's not fun to do at the time but it's it's something that you really look back on and you know i so said that's what i've looked back on papers please so much more fondly now than i did when i was playing it because i'm like i, I feel kind of enriched for having gone through that and you know it made me really think a lot about kind of myself and you know and everything so it is that balance to it as well you know it's, it's the kind of long-term reward versus maybe the more short-term 
the short term kind of reward. You did raise an interesting point there, Craig. Just kind of hopping on one of the words you used there. You said it was more about the experience. As you said, there seems to be more of an overemphasis on really, like, would you agree there's more an emphasis on what provokes the best reaction? Because obviously the best, like, kind of marketing is word of mouth of people saying, oh, this game's scary, or oh, this game is the best game ever. Because one of the ones I'm thinking is more in terms of the genre of horror games. Let's face it, I feel as if next to shooter games, horror games are probably next in the chopping block for ones that don't really handle their topics very maturely. You've got your Outlast, which is just a gore fest. You've got your Five Nights at Freddy's, which is just, uh, you know, it's for kids, even though it's a game about kids getting killed. It's still a game that kids will probably gravitate more towards. But what do you think of that sort of That's a great show, especially because um, the games that are horror and story driven are quite revered. And I think that maybe shows you how rare they are. <laughs> Off the top of my head, obviously, like Alan Wake. That game's, what, 10 years old now? Maybe more? 15 years old? And people were absolutely bouncing when the, the remake of that got announced. And then there was the other sort of the... Oh, what's the name of that game? Adam, what was the game that you played at our friend's house with the, the horror story element to it and the way characters oh, get killed off? Oh, Until Dawn. Yeah, Until Dawn. That's a great example as well. Not saying that's a particularly mature game, but just it's it leans a lot more on the story element than something like a, an Outlast, which is just like, ah, here's just a whole bunch of go have fun. <laughs> well, I mean, even thinking back to like some of the playthroughs that Adam and I have done in terms of... You know who I'm going to talk about, Adam. The one the only Monsieur Cage. (laughs) So, yes, for anyone who doesn't know, David Cage is the man, the myth, the legend responsible for games like Indigo Prophecy, Heavy Rain, Beyond, Colon, Two Souls, and, um, of course, Detroit Become Human. Those games are very heavily marketed as being these games that it's a very mature story, and it's all about your choices matter and things. But there is a lot, it's almost, I wouldn't say it's as bad is like Duke Nukem, but I wouldn't say it's too far off in some regards, especially, you know, in regards to things like the way women are treated in the game, in the sense of how it just, there's kind of this thin veil. It's something I said to you guys before we started recording. It's like three immature games in a mature trench coat. It's not an actual mature game. It's like all of these things that should be mature, but because they're written by someone who probably doesn't have the best grasp of it. So for example, and this is going into kind of sensitive territory, but when Adam and I played through Detroit Become Human, there is a scene that basically features domestic violence, and it's all within a game that it's about robots getting freed and things like that and it just it didn't seem like the right place for this to be in and it's that kind of overstepping of should a game have these things included you know like not this thing in particular but you know should they be pushing themselves to be more mature or should they be you know drawing the line and saying, no, this really isn't necessary. Because again, I told you that, Adam, in our uh, Heavy Rain episode, where in Heavy Rain there's a very famous scene where, or infamous, as it were, where a child gets hit by a car. And in the finished game, you actually see, you know, you don't see the child getting hit by the car, it kind of cuts away. But when you actually read about it, you learn that David Cage thought that it might be better for there to be an actual scene where the child gets hit and kind of thrown in the air 
hair and it just seems unnecessary but I mean that was in the promotion wasn't it not the child getting hit by the car but the domestic abuse in Detroit yeah they they really pushed that and I I think if there ever was was an individual who should not be allowed within 100 feet of mature content it's David Cage just going back to just to go back to the domestic violence scene, I think what what's so egregious about it for me is is two things. Number one, it's used as an event to like move the plot along. That's really all it is. It's so reductive and it's it's again it's just one of these shock value things and it's just it's quite insulting with it to reduce, you know, something as serious as that to basically a, a stepping stone for the plot. And then number two, it's also used as a way to judge you, the player, by your reaction to it. And so it, I just find David Cage is so reductive in the way he tries to tackle issues, which is what really kind of grinds my gears about him and his seeming fascination that he feels he can tackle these sort of issues. So yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I really as much as some of the games are fun, like I just the, the things he does in them just really make you dislike <laughs> dislike him and his approach to kind of handling serious issues. I definitely feel as if that is probably one of the worst examples. The other example, of course, being and um, I think it's Beyond Two Souls, where there's another not really a domestic abuse scene, but more in terms of assault. And it's going back to what you were saying, Craig, when we watch bad films and. And don't get me wrong, this wasn't in the first few minutes or anything, but it's one of those scenes that, much like in the bad films we watched, it was in the game, but it was only there to kind of be a plot point, and it doesn't come up again until much later. And I think the worst thing about that particular moment in that game was that the game doesn't kind of hint and say, okay, if you're feeling uncomfortable, you get out the door. It just it, it kind of gives you that illusion that, oh, once you're in this level that's it you can't walk out the door or go to the bathroom or something and kind of mirroring what you were saying adam yeah david cage shouldn't be allowed to touch this particular area of gaming but one kind of last thing that i want to touch on and it's something we have talked about is the idea of marketing within games. As I kind of said before, that particular scene in Detroit Become Human, for some weird, weird reason, was chosen to be the promotional material. And another example, and I don't know, Adam, if you've seen this or you, Craig, but there was one particular moment in the, I think it was Dead Space 2, some marketing. And basically it was, they got like, I think the first one they advertised it as, you know, like a typical horror shooter game. That was perfectly fine. But in the sequel, they caught like like people's mums in a room and they got them to watch like the goriest bits of the game and then they were like oh what do you think of this game and then they were like oh this is disgusting this is terrible and literally the tagline was something along the lines of so gruesome that your mothers don't like it or something like that and I think the same can be said for a game like Call of Duty because like the first Modern Warfare that was definitely a game where it presented itself as being a lot more serious and down to earth and conventional warfare and your finger wagon of don't violate the Geneva Convention there but then as soon as the sequel came out you had the bombastic music the huge set pieces Eminem actually sang over the trailer that's how bad it got but I'm curious to hear what you guys think of that in terms of marketing because I don't know if it's different kind of in the indie sphere or Craig is there any like particular games you've seen where either it's a good or bad example 
of how marketing is portrayed the maturity it's funny it's something that video games have always struggled with historically is how do you do marketing and there's always been that edginess to video game marketing you know you think back to like the old pictures in magazines and stuff and it was the you know the kids gathered around the when the sega mega drive and they're all exploding or whatever <laughs> <laughs> freaking out and the parents in the background like ooh those games suck or um, of course there's um, I forget the name of the actual name of the game now but it was John Romero's about to meet you his bitch Die Katana <laughs> there you go <laughs> just as an example I mean that was what that was the late 80s early 90s was that I can't oh well, it was 2000 wow just looking up video games have always struggled with like how to market themselves and I think we've you know, always been talking about like stealth maturity and through games and different trailers and stuff and you've got things like um, Borderlands was quite like that when it first comes like oh look at the go fallout is another maybe the example we've not spoke about as much as well like the trailers for that were always very like look at the shooting and look at the, the war and look at this and it's like actually no this is um there's a lot more going on here than what we're showing but I, I guess it's hard to advertise these things and you do end up with a lot of things like Call of Duty making deals with monster energy or whatever it wasn't relentless I'm not sure what band they're on and things like that and video games have always struggled especially like 18 rated games how do you advertise yourself correctly and even I think on the end scene it's difficult always for indie games to advertise they rely on good reviews and people spreading it by word of mouth you're never going to get indie game shows that people are absolutely blown away by unfortunately apart from untitled goose game but that's, that's a different story but like i think games have always so advertised i don't think that's going to change frankly it's not like films where it's two hours of content that you can just distill really easily into two minutes you're talking about something that's huge and players have an influence on it yeah that's kind of all i've got to say on that i guess it's even on the indie circuit it's you don't get a lot of trailers nowadays like oh that's not true you don't get a lot of widespread trailers so it's, it's difficult to to gauge games like that I do want to give a shout out to elden ring which is out this month as well <laughs> in terms of your games they did a great think of like plugging the fact they were working with George R.R. Martin to try to get a bit of um a bit of real world clout. I don't know what you'd call that, but like the way you people that actually like fantasy and books and stuff, we've got one of those authors too. <laughs> one other thing I will say before sort of on this topic though is video games are getting more accepted in the awards sphere. Back in the PS3 era, Journey won a BAFTA for best soundtrack and in the game and then there's other tons of games since then have won various awards across different filmmaking, writing and so on. And that I think that's a acceptance towards mature gaming as well um, and I think that will be something that will hopefully carry on and that will be a, almost a secret way of advertising I think uh, Hades won a really specific award as well like a Tony or something I don't know what it was but it won like a, a typically film award as well so these kind of things will help promote that kind of maturity in games I think yeah I mean it's funny it's funny just talking about things like Daikatana because honestly reading about video game marketing is fascinating just for like the number of things they've tried and almost the quote unquote mature marketing techniques are almost more fascinating sometimes than the game actual mature content was it god of war 2 that sony brought like a dead goat out during the e3 kind of the e3 promotional event i was just reading there about splinter cell conviction hiring an actor to dress as an enemy from the game and take a fake gun into a bar in new zealand wave it around and nearly get killed by the nearly get shot by the police if you go look at the old company acclaim and all their like bizarre marketing strategies like saying that if people put like the an advert for their game on their, one of their deceased relatives tombstones they pay the funeral costs like it's bizarre it, I, it's just a fact you're totally right for how they've struggled games have struggled to market themselves particularly if it is like a kind of quote-unquote maybe more mature game i think as well there's been a kind of trend of deceptive marketing about the actual mature content of a game and i think the most infamous example of this is dead island if anybody remembers um quite a forgettable game i think and also you know one of these kind of small open world kind of zombie games but the cg the cg trailer for this game kind of had this really like gut-wrenching you know story of like a father trying to save his child from like this, this zombie outbreak and you know everybody was like oh my god like what? imagine the storytelling of this game and it, the game itself turned out to have nothing even close to 
you know, that kind of mature depth of storytelling. It was all, again, surface level mature content. The first Gears of War, I don't know if you remember this, Satsu, or maybe you may as well, Craig, but for the first Gears of War game, there was a trailer that had the song Mad World, you know, the one that was made famous in Donnie Darko. And again, it was a pre-rendered trailer and it was like the main character was kind of running through these deserted like streets and he was finally seeing like, you know, things left behind by people as they escaped from the locust invasion. And it was like, there was no, there was no other sound to it apart from the song. And it was this kind of emotional, emotional kind of mood to the trailer. But then the first Gears of War game to me is like the Starship Troopers of video games and that it has virtually no plot and absolutely no character development. So it feels like there's a kind of been a deceptive marketing to try and get more buzz about a game by making it seem that it's quite emotionally mature and deep when actually the fact that the end product is nothing even close to that at all because you could say the same about a game like halo as well or halo 5 to be more precise i feel as if that is definitely the quintessential deceptive marketing (laughs) example especially when it comes to fps games the way that when that was brought out you know halo 4 it was kind of brought out to lukewarm acclaim i think people enjoyed it relatively so but when the fifth one came out they advertised it as being like this kind of mystery game and or not mystery but this uh, particular spartan was hunting down the master chief and there was this whole whose side are you going to choose and it was like this very again it was kind of deceptively portraying itself as having this maturity of where will your allegiances lie will you side with the character you've always loved growing up or are you gonna take on this new character at the end of the day it was just another linear pew pew fest in very scientific terms yeah i do agree with you dead island is definitely a prime example of that though was it dead island correct me if i'm wrong but was it dead island that had a promotional thing where they had like body parts and let me emphasize here fake body parts but was it fake body parts that scattered across the city and people had to find them i think it might have have. again i don't know if that's one of these urban myth things but i I think it did the marketing for that game was bizarre though because it ranged from as you say that to that like the other extreme was the cgi trailer and then there's just if you look at some of the memorabilia they released for the collector's editions it's a it's very very quote-unquote mature in all the bad ways what is that the bloody torso yeah that's the that's the 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 busty woman (laughs) uh, naked torso with no arms and legs or head yeah or head quite the collector's piece for your your mantelpiece it's kind of a head scratcher because you wouldn't imagine someone putting it beside the like Master Chief helmet or like <laughs> the thing from Gears of War. I don't quite get well, sorry, I kinda do. I think it's more the idea of they're just trying to drum up as much controversy as possible to be like, oh buy our game. Would you say that marketing and by extension that first impression makes or breaks a game in terms of like how people perceive it going in? Tunix then yeah i guess it's that way of kind of setting up false you know false expectations and that was that was the thing that killed Dead Island, is that you know people really expected something very different to the end product. But again, I think that was the, the marketing. I think was almost doing that to probably to mask the fact that it was a bit of a, a sub subpar. But it's, it's not that it's a bad game, but it's, you know it's nothing special at the end of the day. So it was almost the marketing was trying to make up for that by all their kind of like you know ridiculous stunts and also their you know attempts to try and mask the true nature of it. Wasn't Cyberpunk the same? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. 
and they said it was going to be a, a finished game. Yeah, well, <laughs> never mind mature. <laughs> We're still waiting for it to be finished. Leaving my cyberpunk bashing aside here, because I, th- I feel as if it's been a while, because you got to bash Atari in the last episode, Adam. The bile's building up for us both. We need to, we need to get out. I know. Uh, Craig, is there anything you want to lash out against before we wrap up? No, I'm actually in quite a good mood today. I don't, I don't have a... I guess it's because I'm not on here every week. I don't have a stockpile of bile. I do want to mention something I'm surprised Adam didn't bring up. Just it, way back to one of our earlier questions, games that are stealthily mature. Sexy Brutal, go play that. Good point. No, I totally agree. The actual, a proper mature game. Go play Sexy Brutal. I have yet to play that game. Both of you have been telling me for ages to play that. It's on the backlog, as I said, next to Citizen Kane and the Persona series. What a night that's going to be. Seeing that note, are there any kind of final points you want to bring up about this topic? Support indie games. <laughs> <laughs> Please go buy some indie games. They're doing lots of cool stuff, and AAA games are going to get more and more cautious about what story they reveal. So, this is the best place to get games that are going to push the boundaries. And the boundaries deserve to be pushed, not always by certain people. Like, maybe David Cage isn't the first person to be pushing these boundaries, but the boundaries of gaming should be pushed like any art style. So, it deserves to be crit- critiqued as art and it deserves to be presented as art. So, yeah, keep pushing those boundaries because I want to see what happens next. Yeah, I think I would just say, mature. Maturity is, it's a very subjective thing, like what you consider to be a mature game or, or mature content. But yeah, I would just say maybe, maybe look for maybe look for games that do challenge you to an extent, but also maybe make you take a bit of responsibility. Because um, I think it is a good, as much as perhaps maybe they're not as fun as other ones, I do think they are important in the day. So yeah, you know, as Craig says, support indie games, don't support David Cage, um, don't support the Duke Nukem series. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's my top tips for the day. Can we get that in like a t-shirt or a poster? <laughs> but if, well, David Cage is facing and Duke Nukem together. <laughs> just Tag says no. Of, Tag team of evil. But you say just all those words, like, support this, don't support that, don't support this, like, my God, who picks this t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be like, you know, one of those t-shirts you see on Instagram where it's like the massive quotes, but they like put it on bit by bit. Yeah. (laughs) I am a podcaster who was born in July. Don't mess with me, David Cage. (laughs) 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 And yes, an indie game bought me this (laughs) t-shirt. So I know what I'm getting for my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I would totally agree with both of those. Um, Just one final quick thing to just to jump on what you said, Craig, about games getting taken more seriously. I don't know if you saw this in the news recently, and I know this technically isn't maturity, but did you see the thing about the Commonwealth Games? for this year or I don't know if they're this year but it's the Commonwealth Games where they're starting to include esports yeah I think that's one of the f- I don't think it's this year I think it's the next future one but I'm not sure yeah but either way yeah, it's it's um pretty incredible and it definitely as you were saying it definitely shows a kind of shift in perception because I remember I was watching it with my family and all of a sudden as soon as that popped up they all looked towards me of course me being the resident gamer of the family and they were like oh look at that and I had to tearfully look back at them and say I'm not nearly good enough to qualify for any type of esports except for um, salty ramblings but is that a category in the Olympics I think even if it was, mate, I, I think Star Wars. Was. I was gonna say, I think I think you'd be surprised just how salty some. Do we get some Star Wars fans in there? Ah, shit, or Pokemon fans? Oh, <laughs> or David Cage fans even? Oh, or David Cage himself? <laughs> oh, gee, oh, god. I thought of him winning awards. In fact, no, he has won awards. Right, okay, I'm I'm ending the joke. <laughs> but in that note. Thank you both for, you know, coming on the episode and discussing maturity within video games. How very mature of you both. 
Hey, we are mature gamers. That's true. You've got the t-shirt and the poster on your wall to prove it, Adam. <laughs> and I have the grey hairs. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. The grey hairs are playing all these mature games. <laughs> As always, before we uh, wrap up the episodes, Craig, where can these lovely people who are listening at home find your content? Well, they can find me at Beard and Chill Podcast on all the various social medias. And as well as that, if you want to find me and my ridiculous journey in the world of pro wrestling, uh, which is the other thing I'm known for, you can find me at Martin McAllister on Instagram. Yeah, that's the best places to find me. You might not hear as much of my voice as you used to, but you never know. Also, sometimes I stream on Twitch at Craigie Beyond. But that's a very, very sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, it's all for me. Thank you for the invite. No problem at all. It's always great having you on. We should really have you on more often. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. We've actually got our next episode planned featuring the yellow demonic tic tacs themselves. Clearly Adam's favourite topic, of course. I've been pushing this for years. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Please, that's an alley. <laughs> Let's make a podcast just to discuss minions was Adam's original pitch. I'll talk about Sonic for the rest of the years. Let me let me do this one. <laughs> oh, I see how it is. <laughs> yeah, on that note, trying to like run away from that topic as fast as possible. If you want to check out more of the Chats and Nami content, you can check us out on Anchor, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, and of course, all good podcast apps. But until then, thank you all so, so much for listening to this episode. And as always, stay safe. Stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated.